Okay, it's live. Okay, thank you so much, Menachem Mendel. So, before we begin, I just wanted to dedicate our words of Torah today to Ramelech Leib Ben Zissel. He's a Rafua Kreva Shlema. Actually, his birthday is coming up uh, at this Shabbos, following Shabbos. Rafua Kreva Shlema, please have him in mind and say to him for him and as well for Shendel Tzipoira Bas Rachel and Baruch Avram Aaron Benyenta. Tehillim really makes a difference. As Tzemach Tzedek says that if we knew how powerful it is to say Tehillim, we would really never stop saying it. Uh, this week, we're also celebrating the birthdays of Jonathan Hamburger and Sarah Bechora Gorelik and Chaimushka Kimi and uh, also celebrating the anniversary of David and Rifki Feld. Many happy returns today. It's also the birthday this week of uh, Madeline Rosenberg and Rachel Tanansky. All the all celebrating the birthdays this week should have a year of bracha, v'atzlacha, v'gashmi, So I chose a pretty pertinent topic this week. Why go to Shul? But before we talk about why going to Shul, let's talk for a second about who should go to Shul. Obviously, not everybody can go to Shul. Not everybody should go to Shul. And there are definitely uh, questions that everyone has to address to the proper medical, to your doctor, and see if that's okay for you in your situation. And it's not something that everyone should do. I'm, I'm not trying to... Uh, try to inspire people who don't feel safe to come to show to come to show. But I am talking to those who are okay to go to show and that have just gotten used to davening at home. And there's such a big change. Rabbi Shamshan Rafal Hirsch used to say that in generations before him, the uh, main place of Judaism was the home. You learned at home, you prayed at home, you did all the mitzvahs at home. And a certain change happened in his time where the centricity of Judaism began to be in the synagogue. That was the center place where the books were, where the Torah study was, and he didn't like it. And he spoke very passionately against this and saying how we have to bring the Torah back to our homes. It's not sufficient just to attend the prayer service and attend the Torah class. You got to bring the Torah to your home. You got to you got to live and breathe Torah, not just attend Torah. And, and, and making the the synagogue so central, he felt, took away from the personal connection we only need to have in our prayers and in our Torah study. While that's an important point, another point has to has to be made at this time, and that is how precious it is to go to Shul. And let's explore that and unpack that in a second. And I mean, think about it for a second. Being at home has its, its advantages. You pray at home, you have to concentrate more, you have to think more about your prayers. Some men are a little bit upset about this uh, arrangement of praying at home because they used to always tell their wives, I'm going to go to Davin Shachris, going to pray the afternoon service and come back like three hours later. And for the first time, their spouses discovered that Mincha doesn't take three hours. 
and they're able to uh, spend a lot more time at home than they may uh, say they can. But right now, a lot of people are leaving their homes and coming back once again to Shul. Since God gave us the Torah thousands of years ago, there's never been a time where we've been so long away from the synagogues. And I shared this in the letter, I don't know if you saw this. Davina Melech says, I want to be in your home all days of my life, all the time. I want to be like a Shiva student, always studying Torah. Then he says, I want to visit your holy place. Does he want to be there all the time or just visit? And the answer is, he wants that every time he goes to the synagogue, it should feel like the first time. We're given an opportunity here now to enter the synagogue in a way we never did before, to enter it for the first time. Something unique. And people you know, wonder, the time when we needed the synagogues the most, we weren't able to enter them. Times that we need God the most, we need to pray to God the most, we weren't able to enter the synagogue. And there are many rabbis around the world who point fingers and say, well, that's because we weren't respecting the synagogues. And of course, that's not something that the rabbi taught us to uh, speak like that, to speak negatively and to accuse people of not, and to explain God's ways. It's not for us. But there's something definitely powerful and significant about going to a shul. And what is that? Why does Judaism put such importance to the synagogue? What is there? God is everywhere. I'm able to concentrate at home and pray with my heart at home. And prayer is meant to be a personal, emotionally fulfilling experience. Why is there a need to go to the shul? You know, the Google um, discovered, uh, there's a Google, Google, um, Google searches. Uh, for diets, people search for diets more often, according to the statistics, uh, on the beginning of a new year. People search for diets more often on, on their birthday. That's a time when you are thinking more, it's a new beginning, you want to like do things right. That's when people start searching more for uh, how to better take care of their body. And so too, as we begin to go back into the shul, we do need to think about what that means. The Imre Emes very sharply uh, said that, says in the Torah, God will fight for you and you will be silenced. The verse talking about the splitting of the Reed Sea. So the Imre Emes said, if you're silent, then God fights for you. But if you're not silent, if you don't have the proper respect for the synagogue, so then you're removing, God forbid, the protection of God. Okay? It's a very musradic, very sharp statement and again, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go that, that direction. Mendel of Rimenov, one time uh, in his times, the, the Cossacks attacked his city and the Cossacks decided to use the synagogue to, as a stable for their horses. And the Cossacks were, wanted to use this, the, um, the synagogue because it was the biggest uh, building in the town. And while they're deliberating about whether where exactly they should uh, put the horses and how they should do it, and before they actually took possession of the synagogue, all of the followers, the Hasidim of Mendel of Rimenov, told her Mendel, the Kazakhs are coming and they're going to use the synagogue, but they probably won't work out so good for them because there's a leak in the synagogue and it's a rainy season. 
and they're going to discover that it's not going to be a good place to keep the horses because, because of all the rain. So counterintuitively, the Mendel of Vimanov said, you've got to plug up the leak right away. And like, one second, Rabbi, we want them to go in and see that it doesn't work out, and then we'll be able to use the synagogue again. This, he says, no, go fix the leak right away. They fixed the leak, and miraculously, the Cossacks decided, ah, it's not good for us. So by honoring the synagogue, it gives us the ability to use the synagogue. There's a certain blessing in honoring the synagogue, in honoring the books of Torah. When I was studying in Yeshiva in 770, there was an older chassid who was 90 years old at the time. His name was Amir Itkin, Al-Vashalom. And he used to study every day with another wonderful chassid who was 100, over 100 years old, Rav Chitschuk, Rav Yudah And a mayor was the younger of the two. He called me over once. He says, you see that old man? Yeah. You see that old man? Every time he takes out a book, he puts it back on the shelf. Do you know why? I said, no, why? He said, because one time he was in Riga with the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe saw him take out a book from a bookcase and put it down on a table. And he said that the previous Rebbe told him, what's wrong with the bookcase? And he put it back in the bookcase. And since then, he's very careful to always put books back. I think what a mayor was trying to tell me was that by honoring the Torah and honoring the synagogue and honoring the Torah books, it brings you a long life. And so it's certainly a blessing. But it's not just about the blessing. I want to talk about the significance of what it really is about. Again, you're praying at home. You're talking to God from your heart. Why go back? It says in the Code of Jewish Law that our prayers are only accepted in a synagogue. Even if you pray with a minion, you pray with 10 quorum as required, you, your prayers aren't accepted. Only if you pray in a synagogue. It says in the Torah that God says he wants to hear the song and the prayer. Says the Talmud. Only the place where songs of God are said consistently, which means the synagogue, only there is a person's prayer really heard. But the question is why? God's everywhere. So what do we mean when we say that God only hears our prayers in the synagogue? Well, the answer is a little bit complex, but let's try to do this. God's everywhere, but there are places that he is more revealed, where he is more, if you will. A besaknesses literally means a place of gathering, a place where people consistently and constantly gather to pray. Is, let's say you wanted to talk to the mayor of Los Angeles. You wanted to change something about Los Angeles. You could go to his office in city council and you could talk to him there. But imagine having the opportunity to talk to him over a cup of tea in his home. It, it's a place where people in their offices are have their guards up and they, and they relate to people in a certain system. But then there's the way they are at home. When they are at home, there aren't those kinds of rules and it's more of an intimate setting and you're able to make have a far deeper effect on the mayor, let's say, if you will be able to speak to him at home than speak to him in his office. In a similar way, Jacob famously said when he was lying down, went to sleep in the Temple Mount and he woke up, he said, he saw the ladder of God where the angels going up and angels going down. Jacob wakes up from his sleep and he says, indeed, this is a place of God. I did not know. I wouldn't have slept in such a holy place. What do you mean? 
God's everywhere. You can't sleep anywhere. If you can't sleep in the presence of God, then you shouldn't be able to go to sleep anywhere. And the answer is no. Jacob said this is a place where godliness is revealed. The king is in control of the entire country, but his palace is a place where he is more present, more revealed. The Rav Ram, the son of the Rambam, said that a synagogue is called a house of God, a place that is designated for the master of reality, for, the, for, for Hashem. The Talmud says that on the verse, I will be, I will rest my name there. Make for me a small miniature sanctuary. It says the Talmud is referring to the synagogues outside of Israel and Babylonia. It doesn't say in the Torah the word Jerusalem anywhere. In the writings and the prophets, it says the word Jerusalem about 600 times. But in, in the Torah itself, it doesn't say the word Jerusalem. And the question is, why doesn't it mention Jerusalem in the Torah? If Jerusalem is so central. It says always in the Torah, God says, you will go to the place uh, to bring the sacrifices, the place that I will choose. It doesn't say where that is. How come it doesn't say it? So Maimonides says, you see how the Middle East is so, it's, most, it's, it's a place where everyone sees the most discord in the world. It's a place that's more fought over than any other place. So that's the Middle East without the Torah telling us that this is the place that God shows. Imagine if God would, would open up the, uh, show, show the deck, show the merchandise and say, this is my special place. Imagine the kind of fighting that there would be over Jerusalem. That's what Maimonides says. But the question though is, why did God choose a specific place to be? The Zohar says that every single temple, every single synagogue is called the Beis HaMikdash. It's called the miniature Beis HaMikdash. It's called the miniature temple. The Sefer HaChaim says, when you stand in the synagogue and you face east, it's as if you are in the east. It's as if you are in Jerusalem. So the synagogue itself is the place of Jerusalem because you're facing Jerusalem. But why? Why is that necessary to have such a place? Our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't have a temple. That's the way people prayed to God at that time. So why did things change? So the, there was a king over Austria named Franz Joseph about 150 years ago. And he uh, was rising in power. And he decided he wants to... Um, he wants to build something that will eternalize him. So he decided he's going to build an opera theater. He hired an architect, and the architect worked on this opera theater for five years. He built an incredible edifice, and they made an a, uh, inauguration day, and everyone came, all dignitaries. And when they arrive, the king comes, and instead of the king being excited to... Uh, see this place that was constructed over a period of five years. A king is so angry. He says, where's the architect? I want to kill him. They call the architect over and he goes on his knees. Your majesty, what's wrong? This is the most beautiful opera house in the world. Why are you upset? The king says, you don't know how to make an opera house. Let me explain to you. When you go to the opera, you go upstairs. You go up the stairs, you go up the first flight of stairs and you decide walking up the stairs of the opera you're in a different zone. You go up another flight of stairs and you decide to put your cell phone on vibrate. You go up another flight of stairs, you decide to turn your cell phone off completely, you're entering into a zone. So Franz Joseph was saying that 
this is the worst opera house in the world because it was built on the, on the bottom floor. You just walk straight into the opera house. You can't walk into the opera house like that. In a similar way, the idea of the simple reason why a synagogue is significant, what's significant about it is that you enter into the synagogue. You leave behind whatever you were thinking about before and you connect with something special as uh, the Talmud says that when you walk into the synagogue, you shouldn't immediately begin to pray. You should first walk in the distance of two entranceways, which means you should leave stuff behind and focus and realize you're talking to God. That's the meaning of the words, the gate of heaven. The, above Ram, the, the Rambam's son, the Manu's son says, the meaning of the words, the gate of heaven, is like when you walk into a synagogue, you actually feel you're going to God's place. You're able to affect things that are happening in your life because you're going to the place of God to talk to God. Yes, God's everywhere, but for you as a person, it's a different feeling going to a special place to talk to God. This is the gate of heaven and it's created by your concentration. That's what Avram Sundaramam says. But it's, it's far more than that. It's that. That's the way it is on a simple level. The simple level, the synagogue is special because of what you're thinking, what you're feeling. But it's a lot deeper than that. There was a great tzaddik named Amisha Chagiz. Amisha Chagiz, uh, his synagogue, there was a very simple Jew, used to come to the synagogue all the time. And one day he was at a class where someone mentions that God used to have in the temple these 12 loaves of bread. And they were offered to God every week and they were fresh every week. And God had special satisfaction from the loaves of bread that were offered to God. So the simple man goes home to his wife and he says, I have a great idea. What's that? Let's make loaves of bread for God. Just really, yeah. I'm going to bring them to the synagogue and put them into the ark and I'll give them to God. His wife, also a very pure-hearted person, says, great idea. And she bakes some loaves of bread and he brings it to the synagogue when no one is looking. He wants it to be a very you know, personal gift to God. He goes into the ark. He puts the loaves of bread there and he leaves and comes back the next day on Shabbat. The ark is open. The loaves of bread aren't there. He goes back to his wife and he tells his wife, God accepted our gift. The loaves of bread weren't there anymore. His wife says, wow, let's do this again. And every week they would bake loaves of bread for God. But what was really happening was that the Gabbai, the attendant of the synagogue, he noticed loaves of bread there as he was cleaning up on Friday afternoon and he took them home. And every week he had some more bread for his family. He liked it. But Ramesha Chagiz, the rabbi of the synagogue, when he found out about it, he discovered who was doing this. He yelled at the man, how dare you do this? Why are you disturbing the synagogue, the holiness of the synagogue? You're bringing your bread there. It's not supposed to belong. The man was mortified. But the Arizal, the teacher of Ramesha Chagiz, the great Kabbalist, when Arizal sent a message to Ramesha Chagiz and said to him that there is a great problem. God hasn't had such satisfaction in the world since the temple was destroyed because he doesn't have those 12 loaves of bread. But now God has the satisfaction that he hasn't had in thousands of years. And you have ruined the satisfaction of God. And therefore, the result said some thing which uh, that the, he had to... Um, his mission in the world was going to come to an end. That's what happened to Mishra Chagir. So there's something about the place of a synagogue that 
is unique. What is that? What is what happens in the synagogue? What, what, what happens is basically in one line, it's in the material place of the synagogue, the bricks, the wood, that place is a sanctified holy space. And because it's physical, it is infinite. What do I mean by that? Hasidic thought tells us that God is infinite and only in the most physical mundane things you have an expression of God's infinity. Just as we could use an example of a teacher, in order for a teacher to teach a student who is somewhat gifted, the teacher doesn't need to use, doesn't need to be too smart. But in order to present the same idea to a student who isn't gifted, to, to present the, an idea to a college age class is a lot more, is a lot easier than presenting the same idea to a five-year-old. That requires a more gifted teacher. In a similar way, the light of God that is used to create the higher worlds isn't that great. The light of God that creates the physical world is infinite. Where do you find the expression of God's essence? In the temple, in the physical space that God shows to express himself. It's kind of like ourselves. You might have an idea in your mind or in your heart, but when you use your words to express that same idea and you say to someone how much you love them, all of a sudden you feel that love differently. Your words, which are seemingly lower than your feelings, have the ability to summon a deeper energy of your soul. In a similar way, the physical space of the synagogue, because it's sanctified, and, and because it's physical, because it's lower, it connects to the infinity and the essence of God himself. As long as something isn't physical, it doesn't touch God's essence. I want to just conclude with one incredible story. There was a, a Jew in, who was an emissary of the Rebbe in uh, Kazan. His name is Rabbi Yitzhak and he has a synagogue there. And every morning, he always came second to the synagogue. An old man would come there before him every morning. And he would always, he'd always come later than this old man. The old man would come earlier and he would come later. So he always felt like he should really, as a rabbi at the synagogue, he should get up earlier than the old man. So one day he works, he gets up really early and gets there before the old man. And lo and behold, he sees that the old man comes into the synagogue and he sits down and he opens his bag and he puts his kippah, he puts his prayer cap, his, his, his yarmulke, he puts it on. And Rabbi Gorelick was a little bit surprised. He thought, okay, this guy doesn't wear a keep all the time, but he should have respect for the synagogue. He should know that the synagogue is such a special place, and therefore he should put on the, the kippah before coming into the synagogue. Why is he only putting on the kippah after entering the synagogue? And then this Rabbi Gorelick thought to himself, you know, everything that we see is a message from God. The Baal Shem Tov says that you see a deficiency in someone else. That means you have the deficiency yourself. You're looking at someone else as a mirror of yourself. So he thought, if I see this in this other person, that must mean that I myself have to rectify this same issue. So he decided, you know what? Do I really think about that I'm entering a synagogue when I enter a synagogue? Do I really think about that I'm going to the place of God? I don't. And he decided the next morning, he is going to say some words of Tanya before entering the, the synagogue, just to prepare, think about God before entering. The previous Bavitcher Rebbe said that people would go into synagogue, used to be in Europe, they washed their hands before walking into a synagogue. So he decided to do that the next morning. And he kept on consistently preparing for the synagogue before walking in just a few seconds, thinking about God, and then entering the synagogue. And what did he notice? 
comes to the synagogue one morning, and sure enough, he's saying the words of Tanya, and this man puts on his kippah before entering the synagogue. It, the, the power of praying in a synagogue and respect for the time of prayer and not to talk during the time of prayer is something which protects the Jewish people wherever they are. The Talmud says that God caused the Jewish people to be scattered among all nations. And that's a, the, Talmud, the Talmud says this is called a staka kindness God did for us by scattering us among all nations because by scattering us among all nations, no Haman, no Hitler can destroy us all because we're always because we're all over the place. But there's also a deeper meaning to God's kindness in scattering us, scattering us among all nations. That is, that some places are able to do different things that other people can't. Like think about Soviet Russia, where they were unable to do various mitzvahs, but other Jews could do them, and they did them not just for themselves. They did the mitzvahs they were able to perform for other people as well. We're all connected. We're all one people. So if I could do a mitzvah because it's not a challenge for me, and for you it is a challenge, my mitzvah helps you. By me being free to do a mitzvah, I have not only the obligation to do the mitzvah for myself, I have an obligation to do the mitzvah for you. So if you're one of those lucky people that are able to go into a synagogue this Shabbat, to think about the great power you have, not just for yourself, but for all the Jewish people, because we're all connected to each other. Your prayer in your place where you are causes protection for all the Jewish people all over the world. As there was one unfortunate incident in New York many years ago when the Rebbe was asked what should be done, and the Rebbe said the first thing is people should be careful not to talk during prayer. So going to back to the synagogue is a great gift of Hashem, and not just a gift for each of us personally who's able to go, it's a gift of God for ourselves, our families, and especially for all those who are not able to go to a synagogue. I mean, think about all of the people that want to go there and cannot go there, and by you going there and doing what you're supposed to be doing there, you are a shliach, you're an emissary of God for all those who are unable to make it by no fault of their own. So bottom line is, my friends, if you're able to make it to Shabbos and come to Shul, that's wonderful. And But go to the synagogue for the first time. Don't go like you went last week and the week before and the years before. Let's go for the first time to the synagogue for the first time. Have you ever prayed to God for the first time? Let's try it out. Let's, this Shabbos, pray to God for the first time. And may Hashem before the Shabbos already, bring the bracha of the coming of Mashiach, let us go to Eretz Yisrael, and to actually go to Jerusalem itself, not just to face the Jerusalem, to actually be in Jerusalem, and celebrate with all the Jewish people of all of history together, in Yerushalayim, with the Beis HaMikdash. A good Shabbos. Amen. Shabbos Abedal. Shabbos. Thank you. Shabbos.